It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When I got here about uh, 8 o'clock in the morning yesterday, this was out of control. The challenge to put out the Richmond bog fire. Now the military joins the firefight. Just ahead of the annual celebration of light kicking off, which beaches are under an E. coli warning? It's really uh, something that's missing in Vancouver culture. And the first of its kind in Vancouver. Will dog-friendly patios now be allowed across B.C.? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. We start with that battle with the stubborn bog fire in Richmond. Well, today, more firefighters and equipment have arrived, as well as the military, to fight a fire that is expected to burn for days. Our Paul Johnson can tell us why this has been so difficult uh, to get under control. Paul. Sonia, they had two objectives today on this fire. One was to prevent it from jumping Shell Road and getting into the Richmond Nature Park. The other was to contain it within the existing perimeter that they set up last night. They achieved both of those today, but they still have a tremendous amount of work yet to be done. They took the media in there today. I saw it firsthand. It is a smoky, sooty mess in there. If you fight wildfires for a living, this is probably your least favorite scenario. Because peat fires burn in the ground, that means that while the Richmond bog fire is a modest dozen or so hectares in size, every last piece of it will likely have to be dug up by hand and then soaked to the point where it just can't burn anymore. The progress we're making headway, things are looking pretty optimistic here, So, but we're still looking at the hard work still yet to come. Some peat bogs have been known to smolder for years, but since this one is smack in the middle of Metro Vancouver, it needs to be completely extinguished. A job that's likely to take several more days and has so far required the combined efforts of a few local fire departments, the BC Wildfire Service and the military who happened to own the property that it's been burning on. As far as the fire growth, we haven't had any growth on it today, and we've been making good progress. While they're satisfied with the progress made knocking down the flames, the fire is still going to be a big smoke generator for probably the next 48 hours at least. And the smoke from burning peat is particularly irritating to the eyes and throat. In fact, some living in Richmond and Vancouver have probably learned for the first time. And on top of that, we found out today that Metro Vancouver has been put under an air quality advisory warning. This from likely a separate issue. This is due to high concentrations of ground level ozone. We expect this is primarily going to affect people who live in the eastern part of Vancouver, the eastern suburbs and the Fraser Valley. Now, the smoke from this fire, they have a plan for that tonight. They're actually going to install a big network of sprinklers. They're going to run those all night and they hope that will dampen down some of the smoke that's coming out of this big bog fire here in Richmond.
back to you. All right, Paul, certainly hope uh, that works for them. Thank you very much for that. Um, now, it's been an especially dangerous weekend on roads in the Lower Mainland. At least one person has died in two separate crashes today. 40th Avenue and 184th Street in Surrey was closed to traffic for hours after two vehicles crashed at about 10.30 this morning. Police say early evidence is suggesting a driver may have failed to stop at a stop sign. A 68-year-old woman died at the scene. Two men taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. And another serious crash, this time on Highway 1. This was just before the uh, 200th Street off-ramp in Langley. Police say at about 6 this morning, an SUV crashed into a tractor trailer, which had broken down on the shoulder. The SUV was completely destroyed. Debris from the crash spread all across lanes of traffic. The driver of the SUV rushed to hospital with life-threatening injuries. Traffic heading back east was backed up for several hours while police investigated. In Kelowna, a teenage girl has died at the Centre of Gravity Music Festival. Police say they were called to the scene shortly after 9 o'clock last night to help paramedics with a 17-year-old in distress. The teen from Kamloops was rushed to hospital, but she did pass away. The RCMP don't think the death is suspicious. Organisers of the music festival have sent out a statement saying they are cooperating with authorities as that investigation continues. They're also offering their deepest condolences to the teenage family and friends. A tweet this afternoon from Interior Health is advising festival goers that drugs and alcohol do not mix. Those at the festival, which goes on till tomorrow, have been reacting to the news. Sad at that, but hopefully it doesn't happen again. Unfortunately, I think it happens at all festivals, so it's not something to do with just cog. We don't know what it's because, like what the cause of it was, so um, it doesn't make me scared. I'm going to go in and have a good time with my friends, and um, I really hope that happens to nobody else, so it's obviously really heartbreaking. Two days after Welfare Wednesday in BC, the number of drug overdoses in a single day has peaked. BC Emergency Health Services says paramedics responded to 130 suspected overdose calls yesterday. Now that is a record for calls in one day uh, so far this year. The last time this happened was April of last year. No one died in any of these calls that came in this time, but still lots of concern over the opioid crisis that swept across the country. BC at the centre of the epidemic. And as you can see there, across uh, the Canada, 3,900 opioid overdose deaths. Uh, but uh, here, 1,422 of those from BC. Now to the wildfire in Kelowna that was sparked by two boys playing with a lighter. It is now under control, but crews expected to remain on scene tonight. Jules Knox of Global Okanagan reports. Fire crews still mopping up the Yates Road fire. The hill last night dotted with glowing orange hot spots. Last night about 12.30 you could still see about six or seven spots where it was burning a little bit but they were had it under control. Firefighters on scene all night. Last night uh, because of the difficult terrain crews weren't able to get a whole lot of uh, mop up done. Uh, it's kind of dangerous at night when it's really dark. The four-hectare fire sparked by two kids playing with a lighter. Resources pulled away from other wildfires to tackle this human-caused blaze. 
you know, I hope that they've learned their lesson and um, maybe they'll end up having to do some community service that will help reinforce the message that this is not the thing to do. Um, you know, the sad thing is they put lots of people's livelihoods and homes and lives at risk. Children, they, they're inquisitive and uh, mistakes are t happen, but it's, it's, you know, these are people's lives and their homes, you know, that's important. Yeah, and people being evacuated on the other side, it's crazy. 933 properties right. in the Wilden area remain on an evacuation alert, and for now, that's not expected to change. We're still going to keep it in place just as a precaution because it's easier to rescind it than it is to put it back on again. Uh, but like I said, people can be confident that there's no, no issues. Firefighters exhausted from fighting the battle on the front lines in hot conditions. Fiona McCormack and her niece Isabel hoping to help with a frozen treat. In their big gear and everything, we thought they might like a freezy. Uh, I'd like to thank all the people that are... Yeah, like stopping by and offering stuff, so it's kind of cool. A bush truck, two fire engines, an ATV unit, and 16 firefighters are still on the ground. Officials believe the perimeter of the fire is secure, but plan to spend at least another night. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. Slow but steady progress is being made against six wildfires still burning or smoldering in the Okanagan. But in the Similkameen, there are two massive wildfires that are nowhere close to being put out right now. 98 firefighters are involved in the Mount Placer fire. Now, this is in an area south of Princeton. This blaze is estimated to be at 828 hectares. Now, the BC Wildfire Service says it's 0% contained and is actually growing in size. The biggest fire in the region though is the snowy mountain fire that is now at 1530 hectares it is also zero percent contained that fire is 14 kilometers south of Keremios. Quick work by Burnaby firefighters preventing a small fire from spreading overnight. Dashcam video recorded flames shooting from the back of a gas station in the 4400 block of Kingsway. The fire broke out just after 11 last night. It happened in a small electrical shed at the back of the station. The flames did spread to a nearby tree. 20 Burnaby firefighters were on scene within minutes. They did manage to put out this fire quickly. Uh, the cause now is being investigated. Witnesses say they are surprised, though, no one was hurt, given how fast these flames hit the tree. As I was uh, pumping gas into my vehicle, I noticed there was some glowing in the distance. And then uh, I looked slightly above that, and there were some tiny wisps of black smoke coming out of it. And, uh, oh, I thought, I, oh boy, I better go and tell the uh, gas station attendant. And uh, by the time I came out, the flames were billowing over top of the, uh, the gas station and there was embers flying around. And at that moment, I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is actually quite a big fire. In other news tonight, an endangered orca mother has been carrying her dead baby through the Salish Sea for days now. The killer whale calf was to be the first baby born to her species in three years. And she was a female, which means she could have birthed her own calf within a decade. But minutes after she was born this past Tuesday, well, researchers found the calf was dead near the San Juan Islands. Her lifeless body has been carried on her mother's nose for at least four days now. The mother orca, known as J35, is part of an endangered uh, southern resident killer whale population. Today, there are only 75 of them left. 
And an exotic dolphin normally found in warm waters has died off the coast of Tofino. It became stranded on the shore of Pacific Rim National Park on Thursday. Now, despite the aquarium's best efforts, this dolphin did die shortly after arriving at the Marine Mammal Rescue Center in Vancouver. Experts believe it was a subtropical dolphin, usually found in waters off California and South America. It is believed rare sightings like this are now becoming more common as ocean temperatures are rising. Welcome back. Now you've likely noticed it taking shape over downtown Vancouver's skyline. Vancouver House will be the fourth tallest building in the city. Its twists and slopes have some suggesting it's going to become our leaning tower of Pisa. But as Kristen Robinson reports now, the developer says it's all good. Vancouver House hangs over you as you cross the Granville Street Bridge. Either way, you can't miss it. From the Granville Street side, it, it's pretty strange looking. It is quite unique. The tower starting triangularly from the ground to fit between the on and off ramps and topping out square to capitalize on density. And you put all of that into a formula, you end up with this building. To a large extent here, this was a celebration of those bridges and it was the idea of creating a gateway from the Granville Street Bridge into the downtown. One. Danish architect Bjarke Ingels describing his design as an upside-down high-rise with a twist. Every time I see it, I, I definitely don't want to live inside. It gives me the idea that it's uh, just leaning one way. Construction began in March 2015, and as completion nears, rumors are swirling about whether the tower is leaning or sinking. One person even suggesting work is stalled due to an error where each floor is an inch too short. We've heard a lot of those rumors. And the engineer lost. behind the project says they're not true. The 520-foot tower is structurally sound with no problems. No, the building is not sinking. <laughs> the building actually, all through construction, the building has been continuously surveyed and monitored. And to date, it's behaving as predicted. It's definitely unusual. And I think that might have thrown some people the shape, but I mean, that's all part of the architectural expression of the building. Vancouver House's atypical tower has undergone rigorous engineering, and it's 375 condos, a few with penthouse views, set to be finished by April 2019. Assuming the engineering is top-notch, I think it's a pretty interesting building. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Port Moody is cracking down on people who leave pets in hot vehicles. If you do it, it'll cost you. Like a lot of municipalities, Port Moody sees a lot of complaints of dogs left in cars during the summer months. The city has changed its animal control bylaw in order. Now dog owners who leave their pets at risk in hot enclosed spaces will be facing stiff fines. So this is what you're up against. A first ticket comes with a $100 fine. If you get caught again, it's going to cost you $500. Uh, anyone who sees an animal sweating it out in a locked vehicle is being asked to call police. A dog-friendly patio is open from today in Vancouver. Now, this is the first of its kind after getting a special exemption from health officials. The question is, does that mean there are going to be now more canine patios be allowed to open in BC? Jill Bennett has got the lowdown on that. The dogs are looking to cool off while their owners are enjoying a cool one. And for one day, they get to do it together. With the special event, we're allowed to you know, eat, we're allowed to drink. 
and uh, enjoy it with our uh, with our pet. Jet Pet Resort teamed up with Red Truck Brewery offering a pop-up dog-friendly patio, something dog owners would like to see more of. I understand if you have a giant St. Bernard and it's going to knock everything over, but small, well-behaved dogs that, you know, look after their, their owners as much as they would look after the other customers, I think it's great. The people who want to have a dog-friendly environment should be allowed to have it. Okay, one, two, three. Provincial regulations don't allow live animals anywhere where food is prepared or served. It's up to inspectors with local health authorities to enforce the rules. One of the main concerns is the possibility of fecal matter being transferred from a dog to food causing sickness. I'd be more worried about bird poop. I'd be more worried about the rag they use to wipe the tables. You could shake someone's hand and have more feces on your hand and on your phone than you would on the bottom of the dog's feet. There are several other Canadian cities that allow dogs on patios. In Alberta, restaurant owners can apply for a permit from Alberta Health Services. Servers can't pet the animals and dogs aren't allowed on tables or chairs. In Vancouver, it's easy to find dogs on the edge of patios. Some say if it's done right, there are no health concerns. Everyone in Vancouver has dogs. <laughs> they want to be able to bring them out with them. So yeah, having the rules relaxed would be awesome for sure. We have to understand there are people that don't come from the same culture that have dogs, people that aren't around dogs all the time, and they'll have a different opinion about it. And that's the great part about this, opening up the discussion. While there are no plans to relax the rules, organizers here say at least people are having the discussion. Jill Bennett, Global News. <laughs> now, we're just hours away from the start of this year's celebration of light. There is a warning from health officials not to swim at two popular Vancouver beaches. Now, Vancouver Coastal Health has posted an advisory for Sunset and Kitsilano beaches, including Kitsilano Point. This is because of high levels of bacteria in the water. Exposure, they say, to such levels increases your risk of getting a stomach bug. The E. coli can come from animal droppings and pleasure discharging their sewage directly into the ocean. Tens of thousands are expected to pack beaches in Vancouver, of course, uh, to catch the first celebration of Light Show, which kicks off tonight. So we're only hours away. And um, You love fireworks. Yeah, well, we all kind of enjoy fireworks, <laughs> right? Do you, do you like fireworks? Uh, they're, they're good. Yeah. yeah they're good. No, I, don't love them, I don't love them as much as you, but yeah. they're, they're, they're fine. I wonder whether girls enjoy them more. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know. Maybe it reminds them of when they first fell in love. Uh, yeah, having that kind of date. Only in my head. Uh, Yvonne is out at English Bay uh, for the Honda Celebration of Light, and we can join her there. Looking spectacular. It is beautiful out here. We've got a spectacular view of English Bay just in behind us and things are going to kick off this evening. If you're planning on heading down, the fireworks will take place at 10 p.m. tonight. Uh, South Africa will be kicking things off and on Wednesday will be Sweden and the following Saturday will be South Korea. A reminder, if you're planning on coming down, there'll be several road closures. I do recommend that you can take transit and TransLink will be boosting its services and also extending the, their hours. So that's a good option if you are planning on heading down. It's also going to be very hot. Temperatures continue to soar this evening. We'll see temperatures sitting closer to 20 degrees. And if you're planning on heading down this evening, speaking of love, guys, uh, for the first time ever, they're incorporating a theme that's been voted on by the public. And this year's theme will be love. So we will be oh. looking forward to seeing what South Africa is going to bring. And for the judges that are down here, our very own Sophie Louie will also be part of the judging uh, for the next three nights. Guys?
Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Um, it sounds good. The weather's playing its part as well. Yeah. And Yvonne looking stunning out there. Well, Sun-kissed and beautiful. Sure, yes. it? it looks warm there, though. It's very, yeah. very hot by the beach, for sure. It's nice out there. Yes. Right. We are in the air-conditioned Yes, we studio. are. So that this means we're thinking cold, ice, hockey. Nice. Segway. Nice, Barry. Uh, yeah, well, uh, Canuck News. Uh, Quinn Hughes, the number one pick, they thought or a lot of people were hoping that he would jump to the NHL and start with the Canucks this year, but he's decided to go back to school. So we'll tell you why he decided to stay at Michigan. A little disappointing. I, I was really looking forward to see this kid, but I guess another year in school as a parent, mm -hmm. I have to say, stay in school, kids. But it's more for his <laughs> hockey development in college. He's still young. He's only 18, um, but he's going to stay there and develop another year and then, then come this way. Welcome back. Well, a firefighter from Alberta has died while helping to battle wildfires in northern Ontario. Crews from across the country, the U.S. and Mexico have been brought in to help with this as dozens of fires are burning throughout the province, including this 7,200 hectare fire in Paris Sound. Jerry Gadwa from the Cahiwen Cree Nation, northeast of Edmonton, was supporting efforts in the community of Red Lake near the Ontario-Manitoba border when he died. In California, the number of people killed by a massive wildfire has now reached five. Two young children and their grandmother confirmed dead today, with more than a dozen others still missing. The car fire in the community of Reading, a city of about 90,000 people, is spreading rapidly and doubled in size overnight. The massive car fire doubled in size overnight, with a burn area now almost as large as the city of Philadelphia. Today, crews scrambled to keep up with the windblown flames in difficult terrain. You can see the flames starting to eat up the grass here on the hillside. This fire is extremely hot, but this is just a small spot fire. And all it takes is a gust of wind to start spreading. You can see it blowing the ashes and the embers. That's part of the problem, huh? That's a huge part, right? This is the story right here in, in one small example of, of why this fire is just progressing so quickly. Yeah. Cal Fire Battalion Chief Jonathan Cox says the extreme weather is what makes this fire so dangerous. We're seeing fire behavior in this part of California that's never been witnessed by firefighters uh, in a generation. On Thursday, vicious winds blew flames into the city of Reading. Thousands of residents scrambled to flee as the fire torched block after block. So far, at least 500 structures have burned. Most haven't been allowed back into the evacuation area to see if their home survived. This woman found out when she saw her burned out house on TV. <laughs> my girlfriend was screaming in horror. She was asking me, is it my house, is it my house? And I wanted not to say anything until I was sure. But unfortunately, we watched her house go up in flames. About a dozen people have been reported missing, including Melody Bledsoe and her two great-grandchildren. Yeah, I was with him. And Her husband, Ed, left the house when the fire was still miles away. When he finally got back to his burned-out home, they were gone. Family members confirmed late Saturday all three had died. There is a home right through the trees behind me that firefighters were able to save, but there still are a lot of hot spots around here. And the hot weather, those triple-digit temperatures and gusty, windy conditions, they're expected to continue for the next week. Carter Evans, CBS News, outside Reading, California. Now to a sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. Theodore McCarrick is no longer a cardinal. Pope Francis has stripped him of his title over allegations of sexual abuse that go back almost half a century. 
cardinals are called princes of the Catholic Church. And amid this elite group, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick stood out as one of the most public figures in the church. By stripping him of the rank of cardinal, Pope Francis is sending a message, says Greg Burke, the director of the Holy See Press Office. What this means is that no matter how important your position, no matter how prestigious, when it comes to sex abuse, you are going to be held accountable. The 88-year-old had been removed from public ministry earlier this summer after a church panel ruled he'd abused a teenage altar boy in the early 1970s while he was a priest in New York. In recent weeks, a number of other sex abuse allegations against minors and adult seminarians have surfaced. Theology professor Candida Moss says the problem is systemic. We're not just talking about the abuse of minors and laypersons within the church. We're also having a kind of Me Too moment in the Catholic Church with respect to the seminarians. We've spoken with Monsignor Anthony Figueredo as these high-profile sex abuse scandals have unfolded. I think we're at a very serious moment in the Catholic Church. Why? The Catholic Church is based on cre the credibility of its ministers. And if people cannot trust ministers of the church with themselves, with their own lives, with their children, well, who can they trust? Allowing a cardinal to step down and ordering a life of penance and prayer before a church trial comes as the church tries to prove it's serious about battling sex abusers in its ranks. Seth Doan, CBS News, Rome. Taxi drivers in Barcelona have taken to the streets today over the use of ride-hailing services like Uber. Hundreds of taxi drivers blocked traffic in the middle of Barcelona. Drivers from other cities also joining this protest overnight. The strikes started on Wednesday to protest against the growing number of cars operating under ride-hailing apps in this popular tourist destination. Uber and Cabify services have been suspended after some of these protests turned violent. In health matters, staying social can be very beneficial for people with dementia. A new study has found dementia patients living in care homes typically get just two minutes of social interaction every day. When that social time is increased by just an hour a week, that improved the patient's quality of life. They seemed happier, less agitated and less aggressive. And it may be pretty dumb idea to bring your smartphone to class. A Rutgers University study found that students who were allowed to use phones during lectures scored half a grade lower on their final exams. Experts say students that are distracted have a harder time focusing and remembered, remembering what they've learned. This is the first study conducted in a classroom that shows a link between distraction from an electronic device and exam performance. All right, let's uh, check in right now for your weather and go to Yvonne, who is out there at English Bay, ahead of the celebration of light tonight, Yvonne. It is stunning, Sonia. The weather is perfect. If you're planning on heading out, remember to give yourself a little extra time. And Transit is boosting their services and extending their hours throughout the evening if you're planning on taking it at home tonight. The forecast, if you are coming on heading on down, let's take a look at our tower cam shot and start off with the beautiful shot of English Bay. And the temperatures have been a big weather story where the potential to see some record-breaking heat once again for the interior. We're already sitting at 23 or still sitting at 23 degrees with a southwesterly wind at 9 kilometers 
per hour. High today was at 25 degrees. That's if you were by the water. Areas away from the water were still touching at 30 degrees and it'll be even hotter as we progress throughout Sunday, Monday. A break will come once again, but that'll be on our Tuesday, Wednesday. 39 degrees for areas near Lillooet today. Kamloops was up to 35. Similar for trail in areas near Soyuz, with Victoria getting up to 21, but inland sections of the island today were up to 35 degrees near Port Alberni. Satellite and radar, we can see there's still some instability. Uh, just east of Prince George, we've got some lightning strikes, and pushing into the southeastern corners of the province, that's where we're looking at the risks of thunderstorms this evening. Tomorrow it should ease off, but we're still looking at the heat. With the heat warning across the province, the following areas that are in red, it extends all the way in towards the northeastern corners, where we're seeing temperatures ranging between 30 and up to 35 degrees. It'll continue for Sunday, Monday, and then we'll start to see a bit of reprieve once again. Southern Interior, to give you an idea, this is the temperature trend. 38 degrees is the potential on Monday. Tuesday will still be a hot day. And then we're back into the low 30s, and there's your break from the heat. But it's midweek onwards for most areas into the interior, and across the south coast, we'll likely see it on our Tuesday. The piece up to 32 degrees with the risk of a thunderstorm. White Horse up to 26, also underneath a partly cloudy sky. Some fog for the morning hours, and then a clearing by the afternoon for coastal sections inland tomorrow, still a hot one, into the low 30s. Caribou and, uh, Caribou and Central Interior up to 33 degrees. Columbia and Kootenai Region at 35. Thompson, Okanagan, hot Tuesday and still for your Wednesday. Whistler will see that range between 35 and up to 39 degrees. And along the island, tw low 20s if you're by the water, but inland sections will be closer to 30 degrees. And our five-day forecast, we're going to see the heat once again for Monday leading in towards our Tuesday. And it'll continue to be hot. If you're planning on heading down to the fireworks and you're coming down earlier, I wanted to introduce you. This is Langston. He's from Toronto. <laughs> You're going to be performing. You're one of the headliners. We're on this beautiful stage that overlooks English Bay. 8.30, what's going to take place? It's going to be a whole lot of unreleased music. i got three singles out right now, but I'm excited to uh, share a bunch of stuff that's coming out, so it's going to be a good time. And you're a Toronto native. Yeah, you're from yeah. Kensington Market, to be specific. Yes, born and raised Toronto, downtown. Yeah, it's my home. Excellent. What are some of the songs that we're going to hear tonight, and where do you get some of your musical influences from? Well, we've got three singles out right now. Effed uh, It Up, <laughs> These Nights, and uh, Fall From Grace, so we're definitely going to play those ones. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get some people that are going to be enjoying that in the crowd, and and we're also we got another single coming out called Circles, so we're definitely going to show that one uh, coming early August. So I'm super excited for that. Excellent. You know, there's going to be a big crowd this evening as the fireworks take off. Over about a half a million people are going to show up. So we're hoping that you're going to kick things off the right way. Yeah, it's crazy. I honestly had no idea how big of a thing this was until I literally got into Vancouver. I had no idea that it was this big of a thing. So it's super cool. This is my first time performing in British Columbia. So first time performing in Vancouver. It's going to be uh, it's going to be wild. Awesome. Yeah. Well, welcome to Vancouver. And once again, you guys can check out Langston. He'll be here at 830. Thank you so much for being us here with us tonight and have a great show. Thank you for having me. All right. Fireworks are going to be kicking off at 10 p.m. So we hope you'll come and join us. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks very much for that, Yvonne. I love how in Langston's video there we went from beaches and sun to to a lot of snow. All right, part of a dramatic chase by Winnipeg police to catch a cyclist all caught on camera. 
Video from a dash camera was taken on Thursday morning. The officer in the unmarked car trying to stop the cyclist who was allegedly aggressively weaving in and out of traffic and running a red light. The cyclist kept rolling until he hit that car. Then he takes off running. Eventually, he was arrested a block and a half later. But why this guy was so eager to get away from police? They're still trying to work that one out. I have no idea why anyone would do this. I'll tell you that the individual wasn't wanted. As far as we can tell, hadn't committed a crime. Uh, we ended up uh, arresting him and uh, making sure he had uh, medical attention. Uh, ultimately, he wasn't charged with anything other than highway traffic. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, sports now with Barry, of course. And, um, you know, a lot of talk about Canucks. Has the whole Trevor Linden stuff calmed down a bit? A lot of chatter. Uh, I still. suppose a little bit mm-hmm. with uh, this recent news. But it's just been a tough week. I mean, Linden right. leaves kind of under mysterious uh, circumstances, for sure. And uh, now Ooh. finding out that one of the most exciting guys who the Canucks have drafted is, uh, is not going to be around yet this year anyway. All right, thanks, Sonia. Yeah, some more disappointing news, I think, for Canucks fans today. Their first-round pick from June, Quinn Hughes, has decided to stay in college for another season. I know we're supposed to say always stay in school, but I think Hughes could have jumped right into the NHL this year. He's an outstanding skater, and he'll be a leader on the Canuck blue line one day, just not next season. At the same time, another year at a top school like Michigan won't stunt his development. He'll play huge minutes and get to lead a team that's always in the national title mix. Hughes was quoted as saying he wants to be the best player in American college hockey next season and lead Michigan to a national championship. Plus, he's going to play for two USA at the World Juniors in Vancouver this Christmas. So I guess in a roundabout way, Canuck fans get to watch him at home. It's uh, not a bad decision. I just think it would have been fun to see this kid jump right into the NHL. He is that talented. Speaking of talented, Alfonso Davies is in the starting 11 tonight for Carl Robinson as the Whitecaps host Minnesota tonight. Kickoff in about a half hour. Caps need to get on a roll. They have dropped three straight and are now ninth in the West. Four points out of the final playoff spot and two behind seventh place Minnesota United. Some MLS action today. Toronto FC hosting Chicago. Toronto needs to go on a big roll just to get into the playoffs. Five wins, 11 losses, four draws in their first 20 league matches. But they do open the scoring off uh, this mad scramble. Josie Altidore finally puts it away. 1-0 Toronto. And then a spectacular goal 20 minutes later. Look at this volley by Javenko to Jonathan Osorio, the Canadian who now has eight MLS goals. That made it 2-0, 3-0 the final. TFC starting to look like champs again as they win. They're six points out of the playoffs. Seven of the uh, 21 Canadians who teed it up for this week's Canadian Open at Glen Abbey made the cut. Unfortunately, Canada's best player, Adam Hadwin, 
just missed the cut by one, just his second cut missed in 21 events this season. It shows how badly the Canadian boys want to perform. Sometimes they want it too badly, and that affects the nerves in a negative way. Today, round three, a couple of Canadians in the top 20 after 54 holes. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford began the day tied for 10th at 9-under. But it was his playing partner, world number one, Dustin Johnson, who came out on fire, birdied his first two holes. And then on the third, that approach is tight as it rolls to within about four feet. Made that for birdie. Three straight birdies to start his round. Gets to 13 under, tied for the lead. Then at the sixth, Johnson rolls it in from 20 feet. His fifth birdie in six holes. He's got the outright lead. Meanwhile... Taylor made six straight pars to start on the seventh. Looks like he's in trouble from the rough, but chips it in for birdie. Unexpected joy there for Nick Taylor. Gets to 10 under. And only at the Canadian Open do you see fans wearing uh, hockey jerseys. Meanwhile, Merritt's Roger Sloan. Chance to finish his round with an eagle at 18, but he misses. It's a tap-in birdie. Sloan won over 73 today. Is at 6 under, tied for 53rd. Meanwhile, SFU star amateur uh, Chris Chris Logo out of Richmond. How's this finish at 18 for the kid? Pretty much everyone in the field comes here making, expecting to make it. As we see Chris Logo, a lot of long handshake there for Roger Sloan. Chris Logo, look at this, 28 feet away. And makes it on national TV with Jim Nance on the call. That's pretty cool. Also at 6-under, he'll play with Sloan tomorrow in an all-BC pairing. Back to the world number one, Dustin Johnson. This is for Eagle at 16. And this will go down. Johnson, 7 under 65, tied for the lead through 54 holes at minus 17. Second round leader, Kevin Tway, staying in the mix. His tee shot at the 15th. This leads to a birdie, and he is tied for the lead with Johnson at 17 under. Wee Kim. Also for Eagle at 16, and this goes down. Kim part of a four-way tie at 17 under, along with another South Korean, Ben On. Nick Taylor made some bogeys coming in, but ends in style with an Eagle at the 18th. Taylor, even par, 72, sits at 9 under. The top Canadians, Mackenzie Hughes at 11 under. The final round on Global tomorrow at noon. Meanwhile, senior British Open at a very blustery St. Andrews. The old course, the wind was howling today, just the kind of conditions Tom Watson thrives in. Check out this putt from 20 yards off the green. He runs up to take a look and sees it drop down for an eagle. What a shot by Watson, who took the lead briefly at age 69. Had some bogeys coming in, but he is tied for sixth at six under. Spaniard Miguel Angel Jimenez, also from long distance. That is for birdie. All those pre-round stretches paying off for Jimenez. He's the leader at 9-under. Calgary Stephen Ames also in the hunt. This for par at 17. The wind just whipping his golf slacks there. Knocks it in. Ames tied for second at 7-under along with Bernhard Longer as Ames goes for his first Champions Tour major win. Final round tomorrow at St. Andrews. Welcome back. The Lions have the bye this week again, the second time in seven weeks. After this, there are no breaks until the end of the season. BC is very thin at running back right now after losing Jeremiah Johnson and now Brandon Rutley to injuries in back-to-back games. Rutley is likely gone for the season with a torn ACL. Lions are currently last in the West, but they have played less games than everyone. They play again next Saturday in Calgary. CFL today, Red Blacks and Ticats from Hamilton. This was a defensive struggle. No touchdowns in this game until late fourth. 
when Jeremiah Mazzoli hits Jalen Saunders for the 29-yard touchdown with under two minutes to go, cut the Red Blacks' lead to three. All of Ottawa's scoring was handled by their rookie kicker, Lewis Ward, who was seven for seven, including this 43-yarder to make it 21-15. But the Ticats still had some time on the clock to get the winning touchdown. They got it down to about the 30, but... The Ottawa defense sacked Mazzoli on the final two plays of the game to seal it. Where's Johnny Manziel when you need him? Ottawa now 4-2, and two, first in the East after their 21-15 victory. Baseball today, Blue Jays and White Sox. Three days before the MLB trade deadline, expect maybe a couple more Jays veterans to be shipped out. One guy who won't be dealt is this guy, Cuban rookie Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who now has a Jays team record streak of 10 straight games with multiple hits. This single brings in two. Toronto took a 3-0 lead. He's 22 for his last 40, which is a 550 average. Then Russell Martin going deep, rips a solo shot to left. His eighth, Jays lead it now 5-3 in the eighth. The Mariners are in Anaheim tonight against the Angels. Penultimate stage of the Tour de France, stage 20 of 21. It's the individual time trial. 31-kilometer distance. Four-time champ Chris Froome of England will not win his fifth championship, but he did post 40 minutes, 53 seconds, which was the top time for about two minutes. That's when Dutch rider Thomas Dumoulin beat up by one second to win the stage. Dumoulin, though, won't uh, needed, though, to make up nearly two minutes on leader Garrett Thomas. The Welshman Thomas came up with a huge effort. He ended up third in the stage, 14 seconds behind Thomas, but or 14 seconds, rather, behind Dumoulin, but he still has a 151-second lead on Dumoulin, 224 on Froome with the final stage going into Paris. Nothing ever changes on the final day of the Tour de France, which is a bit bizarre. So he should get his first Tour de France victory. I liked how he was cooling off there. Next frontier in space is a planned mission to send human beings to Mars. In the canyons of Utah, though, there's apparently a research center that is allowing people the chance to experience what it be like, what it, what it would be like to live on the red planets. In the barren Utah desert, it seems like another world. Welcome to Mars. Hidden in the harsh, dry terrain, the privately run Mars Desert Research Station gives scientists, engineers, and doctors a feel for what life would be like on the red planet. You're exposed to extreme cold, extreme low pressures, extreme heat. It's a very difficult environment to survive in. This team of wilderness doctors spent two weeks on a simulated mission. The idea of going to Mars, even if it's a one-way trip, certainly appeals to me. Most who visit the station will never make it to Mars, but the experiments and research they conduct are laying the groundwork for the team that will eventually land there. They live in tight quarters. Tastes better than it looks, I promise. Eat space food and work in Mars-like conditions where astronauts would face temperatures colder than minus 80 degrees and unpredictable dust storms. Anything that can happen on Earth can happen on Mars. Major difference is that help is 140 million miles away. Today's mission, a journey into the Mars-like desert to collect soil samples. This is your life support pack. Okay. So, Mars' atmosphere is about 1% that of Earth. We can't survive without pressure and oxygen. Oh, I look like an astronaut. The countdown from inside the airlock. Three, two, one. The last step before any spacewalk. 
The team navigates the deep canyons and red hills, mimicking a search on Mars that might reveal more signs of life. Roughly in, Roughly in May. NASA hopes to send humans to Mars by 2030, and the dreams of these desert explorers could help lead the way. Tammy Leitner, NBC News, Hanksville, Utah. All right, not as hot, but it is pretty hot out I there. Out of this world as well. <laughs> Throwing it back to Yvonne at English Bay for the final word. Yvonne. Oh, that was very final. <laughs> anyway, she is at English Bay. It is very hot. Oh, there you are. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, Hi. Yvonne. Just, just a reminder if you're... Okay. I know, we're out of time. That's it. There you go. Reminder, it's going to be hot. <laughs> uh, fireworks live on BC1. Good night.